This is the Hofstra Radio Alumni Audio Yearbook. Today is July 21st, 2022. Please tell us your name and the years you were at Hofstra Radio. I'm Steve Graziano, and I was at WVHC from 1975 through 1979. Okay, and what shows and programs did you work on? <sighs> See, I was host of Odyssey. Uh, that was one of the two weekend music programs on in the afternoon, and it was uh, a mixture of uh, folk, light rock, and jazz. And uh, I think I did the Sunday edition of Odyssey. I also hosted changes from time to time. And then there was, um, there was a time where we had some sort of, of program on Saturday nights, and it was always a different theme. And when nobody could come up with a theme, I just did an oldie show. Hmm. Uh, and the only other program I did, I hosted a public affairs uh, d discussion type program for maybe a semester or so called Outlook. Okay. Um, I'm just curious, and I don't mean to put you on the spot, but when you were doing that program, what were considered oldies? Oh, okay. So uh, it would have been, you know, 50s doo-wop, um, uh, you know, so it would have been anything, you know, from 1955 to probably 67, maybe. Okay. Okay. So your Roy Orbison's, your Jerry Lee Lewis, your Buddy Holly, Little Richard, stuff like that? Yeah. And, and you know, the interesting thing, of course, uh, you know, we all rely on reference material to sound like you actually know what you're talking about. And I mm -hmm. bought a book called Rock On written by Norm N. Knight, who I think at the time was a DJ at WNBC. And believe it or not, as I'm doing this interview with you, across the room on my bookshelf is that book. It is, I have held on to it ever since 1970-whatever. It's followed me everywhere. That's fantastic. Well, th those of you who've listened to this before know that I'm I'm literally holding myself down to stop from running out to go buy that book. <laughs> I'm gonna <laughs> I'm gonna go find that book and go read it because uh, I'm I'm always interested. Uh, re reading books and reading uh, album covers and things like that were were key to my education uh, in the 1990s at Hofstra Radio. But this is this is about you. So so those are the programs that that you did during that time. What were the the broadcast hours at the time you were there? Was it like 2 to midnight or something like that? Uh when I started, no, it was even later. Gosh, I think we signed on 5 o'clock in the afternoon uh and then probably signed off at 12 or 1 o'clock. This was back when uh we were, the transmitter was on the playhouse, so we were uh, 320 watts of vertical power, or whatever the sign-off said. Um, so, um, you know, it was, it was FM, but it, we, we were not yet up on, on Tower C. That came in my last year when I was program director. Uh, but, you no, know, and then we slowly uh, grew the broadcast day, and Gosh, I have no no idea what it is now because I don't live there, so I'm not able to tune in. But uh, it was it was modest when I was there, but we grew it. 
Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Um, so you mentioned that you were program director. What other titles or positions did you hold at WVHC? Uh, the first year, I think I was just a staff announcer. And I want to say in the second year, I was the assistant news director under Janet Pearl, I think. Uh, then I know my third year, I was a program operations director. And then I was program director in, in my final year. Okay. That was um, the same year that Jim Helfgott was station manager. Good, good, good point of reference. Thank you. Um, did you use your own name on the air? Did you have any nicknames or aliases? Well, when I did Odyssey and so on, yes, I used my own name. Then, uh, you know, you're in college, you're a wise ass, you know, you're used to you know, doing, doing stupid stuff. And I remember being with John Woodford. Um, and you know, for whatever reason I was hosting some show and we just started coming up with, with silly names that I could use. And I remember, you know, one of them was Carl Place. Another Uh was, was Ron Kunkama. (laughs) And you know, uh, it was an inside joke for anybody on Long Island. You know, you mentioned it elsewhere and say, like, oh, okay, what's so funny? But, you know, it was just something to, to goof around. Uh, and, but, uh, you know, when I, when, when I did the programs, I was Steve Graziano. Okay. Sound, sounds appropriately whimsical and, and, and collegiate uh, for, for the type of things that we were doing. That's, that's good stuff. Um, so this is a two-part question and answer it however it makes sense to you, but what was it that first brought you to the radio station? And then if you could describe the station, if you could give us a mental picture of what it was like, maybe the offices or the studios or the, the people that you met when you first got to WVHC. Yeah. Uh, I always loved radio. I mean, for whatever reason, I was just, just a radio geek. You know, when I was a kid, I would listen to you know, distant stations on, on AM. So, you know, I would tune into WLS and, and things like that. And, you know, love jingles, you know, all that stuff. I just love top 40 radio. Mm. Uh, so, uh, you know, when I had the, the, the opportunity uh, to, to actually, you know, work at a station, you know, I just, you know, leapt at it. I remember like the first day at Hofstra, uh, what the station used to do, I don't know if they still do or not, but uh, you know they would have a remote um, somewhere. You know, I re- I think the remote that that they were doing was sort of at the end of the Unispan, uh, you know, and you know whatever that area is is called. And uh, you know, I talked to them, and you know, they pointed me to um, Memorial Hall, and I went in and. You know, that was pretty much that, you know, um, they would pretty much take anybody who showed an interest and and who could somehow do, do something and, and do it honestly. Um, so, you know, the, the studios were as, as the other, or the, the offices were as others have described it, just pretty much a big room where at the, at the focus of it was, was Jeff Krause. Uh, and, uh, but the, the studio in the basement of the little theater. You never saw that, did you? I never saw. I've only seen photos. Okay. Uh, Photos can't do it justice. It was filthy. It was (laughs) disgusting. It was dark and, you know, 
I mean, dirt and, and, and filth, and it was fantastic. It was wonderful. It was just what a college radio station should have been back then. And it was small and, uh, you know, it was very poorly equipped because uh, the station had no, no real budget. Uh, so, but it was just wonderful. It was, it was a great place to be. Uh, the main announce studio, um, there were, of course, four walls, one of which was the glass wall looking at the engineer, but the other walls were just surrounded by albums. And I remember being so astonished that, you know, being a, a freshman there and not knowing anything, I'd be watching some somebody on the air and uh, somebody would say, hey, um, you know, um, uh, what about Aztec two-step? And the guy would say, yeah. And he would just get up and he knew where that Aztec two-step LP was mm. without having to look it up. That blew my mind. And then one day I, you know, was able to do the same thing and I didn't realize, oh, wow, I've become one of them. Isn't that fun? That's fantastic. And that, that brings so many memories uh, for myself. Uh, somehow, as you were talking about the sort of the, the, the filthiness of the station. I don't think I've really talked to too many people about this. This would have been a time period when people were smoking cigarettes and, and Jeff Krause smoked a pipe all the time. Were, were, did people smoke at the radio station? Was that part of like the, the, the dinginess of it or was oh, yeah. that? Uh, yeah. I mean, I don't recall if we had a rule about not smoking. I mean, you do the math. It's been, it's been a number of years, you know, 1977. Right. You know, uh, so I do not recall. I would imagine even if we did have such a rule, you know, who would who would pay pay attention to it? Uh, I was never a smoker of okay. of, of of cigarettes, uh, so so I would not know, uh, you know. But um, yeah, I just don't don't recall that. But it was gloriously filthy. That 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 sounds very enticing. And and the other thing that brought to mind was that a number of people have described. Uh, the studios there is something of a fire trap. There was only one way in and one way out. So yeah. um, it's just it's just it's just bringing it and making it more and more real. Uh, the more stories I hear, so um, I thank you for sharing I, that. Yeah, sure. I don't know if 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 anybody has brought up the bomb threat that we got. Please tell us more. We got a bomb threat, and I was on the air. Um, I know Linda Day, Linda Dayleader was probably the announcer. Maybe I was engineering, and there were a couple of others. Could have been Helfgott, could have been Charlie Kadu, but somebody called up. You know, a bomb threat, and uh, you know, we didn't quite know what to do. I don't. I don't think we could get Jeffrey on the phone. So one of us had the bright idea to call the FBI because you know we said, well, you know, we're we're a radio station, and Someone call, you know, I I guess we dialed 411 and asked for the number of the FBI. And, um, you know, because the person spoke to Linda, she's the one who, who spoke to the agent. And then, you know, we, we realized, okay, this, this probably isn't legit, you know, but it was, I think, the only time I've ever been involved with a bomb threat, fortunately. Wow. 
that's uh, that's fairly intense. And just that you're just minding your own business doing a radio show. And why would someone target Hofstra's radio station? You know, it's been a long time, and memory is, of course, a little fuzzy. But as I recall, it was it was somebody who, who had some legitimate mental issues. And, you know, uh, whether he was just, just trying to get attention, I, I don't believe he was malicious in, in any way, but, okay. you know, you know, things like that. Of course, we did turn it into a joke at the end of the year because Charlie Kadu was in charge of the, the, the end of the year uh, banquet tape. And, and he, as I recall, his bit was, you know, he called in, um, you know, a fake bomb threat. And he said, there's a bomb. It's in a box. The box is marked Western Star. And then <laughs> at that point, you know, he rolled the, the Western Star theme music followed by a big explosion. And we all thought it was funny at the time. Maybe in retrospect, not so much. But, you know, again, we were stupid kids. What do we know? Yeah. And, and you know, the in the darkest times, we, we find our sense of humor. It may not be fit for everyone else, but it's what gets you through the moment uh, and makes memories, I suppose. So uh, I totally get that. Um, so you said earlier that you, you went up to this sort of uh, this, this open broadcast and they were willing to take anybody in. Once you got into the station, were there any training classes? Was there any... Uh, classes to say this is how we do things or is it just learn and observe and do oh no they had very rigorous classes uh so you know yes i'm sure they would have taken anybody who expressed interest but if 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 you didn't have even a kernel of of um talent well you know maybe maybe this is just not quite for you uh but yeah we had announcing classes uh, and who was who taught my Marion Berger was the chief announcer when I was uh, first there, and I know she led the announcing classes. And uh, you know, all I can remember, and and I can still quote some of it. You know, as I'm lying awake with the dismal headache and repose is tabooed by anxiety, I conceive I may choose any language you use to blah blah without impropriety. Uh, it's amazing. How the hell do I remember that? And I don't remember a telephone number. But regardless, uh, so there were there were things like that. Uh, there was a class to teach you how to operate the Gates Diplomat Board mm-hmm. and how to you know sign the station on, take meter readings, and all of that. Uh, and I remember uh, you had to pass a test, just an internal test. To, to run the board. And Helfgott was, was my, uh, uh, what's the word, proctor? You know, he was the one who gave the test. Okay. And uh, he, he, he passed me, so, so that was good. Uh, and then we also had classes to get your, your third-class radio telephone uh, license with broadcast endorsement. And to me, this is... Uh, a wonderful story, and it it brings up the the memory of a really dear person uh, who sadly passed away, Jim Del Balzo. Jimmy was just the salt of the earth. Uh, He was our sports director, 
he was kind of hip, fun guy, and he ultimately uh, got a job at Columbia Records, and then I think he he formed his his own talent company. So anyway, <clears throat> you know, neither Jim nor I am, am you know we're, we're technically inclined. So we're studying hard and doing all this, and as other folks have said, you had to go down to to Varick Street in Lower Manhattan to take mm-hmm. the test. Great. So he and I take the Long Island Railroad and then the, the subway down to Varick Street. And we're in this big giant room and there are rows of chairs, you know, just like any, you know, uh, college classroom. So he and I sit next to each other. You know, he's in row six, I'm in row seven. Mm-hmm. And, uh, you know, we're, we're taking the test and I'm stumped by a lot of this stuff. So I did the only thing that I knew how to do. I looked over at Jimmy's answers because they were all multiple choice, you know, 6A, 7F, you know, da-da-da-da. And, you know, I'm copying down all the stuff I don't know, which was probably half of the test. I don't know. Well, they grade the tests right then and there, and they, they let you know if you passed. We both hand in our papers at the same time. Imagine that. Mm-hmm. It turns out I passed, and Jimmy failed. What? Well, precisely my reaction. I said, how the hell did you fail? I copied the test off of you. He looks at me and says, you idiot. There are different tests to prevent you from from cheating. I didn't know that. (laughs) So whatever he got wrong, you know, know, if, if if the answer for question six was B, and he wrote down, you know, B, it was wrong for his test, but right for mine. So, uh, you know, I, I really wanted to, to, to celebrate and be happy, but, you know, Jimmy was, you know, a little down because he would have to take the test again. But that was, uh, I guess, the benefit of cheating off of somebody who didn't know even what you knew. Wow. That's, uh, that's, that's a rather remarkable story. Um, so, so a, a, a true friend would have gone back with them to Varick Street to, for moral support. I imagine he eventually passed the test and, and got his clearance. He did go back and get his test. And, and clearly I wasn't a true friend because I didn't <laughs> go back to Varick Street. I mean, you know, Manhattan right now in, in, in 2020, it's a wonderful place. 1975, 76, 77, you don't want to go there. Yeah, you know, that was that was that was not not really fun. But uh, different times. Yeah. Um, wow. So, uh, well, congratulations on on getting your clearance. Now that you're <laughs> cleared, um, what do you remember about getting on the air the first time? If not the specific instance, uh, do you remember a feeling of of being nervous or scared or excited? What was what were you thinking about get before getting on the air? I remember exactly the first time I was on the air. I remember exactly the first record I played on the air. And I use that word literally because that's what we used then was 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 records. Uh, mm-hmm. It was a remote in the student union. And <clears throat> I don't know why, but if, but it, even then, okay, I, I did, I think, a one or two hour oldie show. You see, are you picking up a theme here? Mm-hmm. Um, and, of course, the, the first record was Dusty Springfield, I Only Want to Be With You. Uh, nice. So whenever I hear that on, on Sirius XM or something, I always smile. 
I did have whatever level of of know-how or intelligence or whatever you want to say, I realized not many people are listening. I mean, you know, this is WVHC. It's 88.7, 320 watts. You know, there's just not a lot of people out there. So if you screw up, who's going to know? Right. So that sort of held me, you know, in, in pretty good stead. When you realize the 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 penalty of, of, of messing up, it's really, you know, only your own pride and, and the wrath of Jeffrey. Mm-hmm. But, you know, if, if you play the song at 45 rather than 33, okay, eight, eight people heard you. So, no, I really wasn't nervous um, just because I figured it, it was okay. Um, so that was, that, that was my first time on the radio. Okay. It's a, it's a very clear uh, memory. Not everybody remembers uh, the details, but that's, uh, that's a great story. And now I will, when I hear that song, I will, I will think of that. So, uh, so thank you for sharing that. Um, you've mentioned a number of people who were helpful in uh, getting you started at the station. Who else was around uh, as you were uh, finding your way at WVHC? Um, you know, uh, one guy who really helped me a lot. Uh, and this ties in a couple things. Uh, most of the folks there were into album rock. They were, you know, they were the kinds who listened to WNEWFM, mm-hmm. WLIR. You know, they were really into, you know, the eighth track on, on a Pink Floyd album. I wasn't. I listened to WABC growing up. My hero was Dan Ingram. Mm-hmm. So there was another guy at the station who was a year or two ahead of me who was exactly the same way, Joe Mano. Joe was a great top 40 DJ, and that's what he wanted to do, and that's what he ultimately did do. Uh, so, you know, he he helped me a lot. Uh, Tom D'Agostino was a great engineer, and Tommy... Um, this is another vivid memory that I've told a, a number of other people. I was comboing, which you know meant you were the announcer and the engineer. Mm-hmm. And you're sitting there at the board, and there is you know the turntable to the left and the turntable to the right, and the board in front of you. And I'm comboing, and Tom D'Agostino is, is standing behind me. Tom was the chief engine or the well, I mean, uh, Teddy was the chief engineer. I don't know what they called the student who was the, you know. Executive engineer, maybe? Exactly. That's okay. it. Tommy was the executive engineer. And, you know, <clears throat> I'm chatting with Tom, and, you know, we're talking about this and that. And there, and I still re- remember which turntable, because both turntables were playing, because, you know, one song had, had finished. And I turned to the right. And I hear Tommy saying, don't do it. Don't do it. And I'm thinking to, to myself, what the hell does he mean, don't do it? Why, why is he saying it? And I lift the tone arm off the record, at which point there's silence. Yeah. And I turn to Tommy. I said, oh, that's what you meant. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah. And put it back down. I said, I wanted to take this one off. Yeah. That's what you want to do. 
So that could have been, you know, the hubris of, of thinking, well, ain't nobody listening who cares. And well, you know, there should have been maybe a little more personal pride. I don't know. But uh, so, I mean, there was Tom D'Agostino, um, uh, Amy Margolis. Uh, I mentioned Linda Dayleader, um, uh, Todd Ant. Mm-hmm. They were just, I mean... Gosh, they were just uh, Stephen Fendel. Oh, 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 Rob Wilson. And, you know, I, I don't know if I apologized to Rob at the last uh, dinner that, that we had. I, I'm going to publicly apologize to Rob for my, um, for, for my involvement in this. I think somebody, I think Sue mentioned this in passing, but one day... Again, we were wise-ass college kids, and we thought, wouldn't it be fun to take a desk and put it out on the roof of Memorial Hall? So if you're in Memorial Hall and you look to, I guess it would be the north, it would be the roof of what, the the cafeteria kitchen or something like Mm -hmm. that? Mm Mm-hmm. And the windows were big. So, I don't know, there were 10 of us or something, and we all lifted Rob's desk up and somehow wrangled it out the window and then we put it there and we put everything back you know in its place you know, his lamp yeah yeah and his chair and and then we left and and honestly i don't remember how he got it back in obviously he had help and i'm i'm sure he was royally pissed so so rob i'm sure you're listening Please accept my apology. It wasn't me alone, and but but I you know I feel bad now. So well, I, I, I'm I'm sure at some point, hopefully, it was. I, I hope it was a good laugh for him, or <laughs> at the very least, it's a story, and he can he can express his righteous indignation at, at, at that sort of thing. But it's it's hard uh, to for many of us to sort of picture the windows being big enough. Now I remember when the third floor was the, uh, or the upper floor was the the registrar and those were very large windows, but the way things are built today, there's no way you could get a desk out the window. And yet that was just, that was just the way that it was. That's, it's, yeah. it's pretty, uh, it's, it's different times. And it's very impressive uh, that you all got that done. Well, Not yeah. that we want to encourage those sort of things. Well, and, and, you know, speaking of, of, of windows, yeah. Helfgott and I went to the Empire State Building. Um, Teddy Ronneberger invited us up. Teddy was the chief engineer of WXLO. And he said, well, why don't you come on up and look at the transmitter? You know, wow. And, and so we did. And, I, and even being born and raised in New York, I had never been to the Empire State Building. And I was astonished that the windows opened. Yeah. So, you know, that was, you know, you just said windows. Mm-hmm. And for whatever reason, the first thing I thought of was the Empire State Building and Teddy Ronneberger. And, and you know, I even mentioned it to him. He said, the building was built in 1925. So, yeah, I, I guess so. <laughs> yeah, yeah, things were very different. So this is this would be the area above the observation deck, right? Where, where uh, the... I don't know where the where the transmitter room was. Okay. You know, the, so there would have been a room, I don't know, on the 70th or 80th floor, something like that, okay. where, where, you know, 
the transmitters were, and then there would there would be cable that would take you all the way up, uh, or you know that that sent the the signal up. But okay. uh, so so yeah, that was that was that's a pretty neat experience. That is that's pretty great. I had I had the good fortune uh, at one point to go up there as well. That that section it may be different, but above the uh, the observation deck, and I'll oh, never that forget cool. that. It was it was very oh, cool. So this would have been yeah. late. 90s and there was a lot more satellite technology but i i didn't know what anything was i just thought it was really neat to be up there it was very cool so exactly exactly um before we started recording we we talked a little bit about um you had mentioned that you had older brothers i think that were uh into radio and that that sort of played into uh your experience at wvhc did you want to talk about that a little bit yeah, yeah. My, my my eldest brother Joseph, he is eight years older than I am. So his music was, you know, the late fifties, early sixties, uh, and that's of course, you know, why I appreciated that because that's what I heard. Mm-hmm. Uh, and somehow or other, I don't know why, because he did not go to Hofstra. Uh, he heard about Tom Curley's program, Rock Around the Clock. Right. So, you know, your older brother, you look up to him and, you know, if he's listening to, to Rock Around the Clock, well, then I'm going to listen to Rock Around the Clock. And, and so, you know, I would listen every week to Tom Curley. And then, uh, so you you would know, what year did Tom do that? Oh, you're putting me on the spot. Yeah. Um, well, yeah, it was, I want to say he started 68, 69. I think he started okay. in 69. Okay, so, so around you know, I, was, I was in sixth grade, um, but it 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 did make you know quite an, an impression on me, uh, and so so I did know about WVHC as a kid. Mm-hmm. Uh, so actually going there was holy cow, and then you know meeting Tom Curley was holy shit that that, that and you know da 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 it was quite something, uh, and. And th- this is the real crime. Um, I had air checks of Tom's on cassette. And I know I gave it to somebody. I think I gave it to Marion Berger, uh, who said she would get it to Tom. But I don't know if if she ever did. And, you know, um, but that's neither here nor nor there. But that was my, 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 my first recollection of, of VHC was as a 12 or 13 year old kid listening to Tom Curley, you know, uh, you know, you know, and, and his, his silly recorded jokes, which I still re- remember, you know, that record is so old. It's got varicose grooves, uh, <laughs> you know, you know thing, yeah, yeah. But, you know, things of, of, of that ilk. So, um, yeah, man, to actually be there was, was, was quite meaningful to me. Did that play into your decision to go to Hofstra? Well, you know, um, the the reason I went to Hofstra, uh, like when I was deciding where to go, my dad had a stroke, and I felt it 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 be better if I stayed closer to home rather than you know pick pick a school you know in Chicago or something else, and you know the. The, the two schools that, that I applied to locally were Hofstra and Adelphi. Mm-hmm. And one day I get in the mail the, the material from Adelphi. 
you know, to register for classes. And I'm thinking, I haven't gotten the acceptance letter from them. Hmm. And I had gotten the acceptance letter from Hofstra. I said, if Adelphi is this screwed up that, that they're not even going to send me an acceptance letter, they're just going to go straight to the registra- registration stuff, I'm going to Hofstra. So, you know, I could have just as easily gone to Adelphi had they sent the right letter. But, you know, so so no, Tom Curley can't lay claim to that's why I, I went, went to Hofstra. That's just a nice, nice little bonus. <laughs> okay. But, but I guess you had the intention of, of studying radio or doing something in communications as you're going into college? Uh, I knew... I. I knew I wanted to be in radio. I was not a broadcast major. I was an English major because I figured, you know, no matter what happens, it's probably going to be good if you know how to write. Okay. Um, But but here is the lesson for any young person. As I mentioned earlier, my radio hero was Dan Ingram. Yeah. And Dan was absolutely, hands down, the best, period. There's no argument. And I wanted to be... Dan Ingram. The problem is I'm not Dan Ingram. And you got to be who you are. You can't be somebody else. So, you know, I learned that very late in my my radio career, which is why, you know, amongst many other reasons, I never ended up at WABC or or, or anything like that. Uh, You just got to be yourself. And I should have allowed myself to be myself. But, you know, Life turned out pretty darn good anyway. Well, that, that is that is good to hear. And, you know, you, you could do worse than have Dan Ingram as ha- being your inspiration for going into radio. I mean, that's, you know, like you said, there's there's nobody better. Oh, yeah. I remember, like, the first day I was in the office. As you walked in the office, that, that door is was in the center of the wall. And, you know... You you walk in and there's all this stuff going on, but to the left of that door, on the wall, was a framed letter from Dan Ingram. Wow! And I didn't realize it until I was leaving. I said, and I'm looking at it. And I said, that's from Dan Ingram. And everybody said, yeah. <laughs> it was like <laughs> you know, you know, it would have been you know in my mind. You know, if you're in the Vatican, he said, that's from Jesus Christ. And, and you know, all the bishops would say, yeah, yeah, okay, yeah, well, it's the Vatican. Uh, <laughs> but so, uh, and, and in fact, I asked someone at some point, whatever happened to that letter? Yeah. Because he was, you know, thanking Jeffrey, you know, for some, some award. And I remember the last line of the letter, you know, thanks for the blah, blah. Besides. I deserve it. <laughs> you know, it, was, you know, <laughs> you know, it was funny. It was light. Da 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 da. And boy, I would pay real money for that letter. So again, somebody listening to this might know where that letter is. We're we're Con- we're, we're putting it out there. Yeah, yeah. Please yeah. let us know because I I would likewise love to know. Uh, where that letter is now. When when you said that you first noticed it, was that like when you were first there, or is that after your four years you noticed it on the way out and said, "By the way, oh no, oh yeah, no." My <laughs> like like my first day as I'm walking okay. out, you know, or just you know, sort of looking at the room and you know, checking out what's on the walls, and then whoa, look at that. 
do you remember meeting Jeff for the first time or, or your early interactions with him? No, I mean, not like, like, you know, that was the first record I played or stuff stuff like that. I just knew early on, okay, you know, uh, you don't mess with Jeff. Um, uh, you know, he, he was, um, you know, he was a great mentor. Uh, he, he taught me so much. Um, and, and he would, he would give you enough rope to hang yourself. Mm-hmm. Uh, and, 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 and so, you know, I'm going to reference Sue Ziz's interview because, you know, what, what she said about my format for the country music show, everything she said is absolutely 100% correct. Mm-hmm. The format that I came up for that show was so blindingly simple, a monkey could do it. And that, of course, was the idea. But keep in mind, it would never have happened unless Jeffrey had said, yes, go ahead. I had to explain to, to, to Jeffrey why. And part of it was, you know, we got Changes, you know, which is a freeform album rock show. We got the jazz shows, which are freeform jazz programs and all this other stuff. We have nothing to teach anybody how to do a top 40 radio program. Hmm. And, you know, in 1976, actually, this probably would have been later. This would have been 78 or 79. You know, Top 40 was still a big thing. WABC was still the number one radio station. Right. You know, can't we have something that would, you know, teach somebody how to be a Top 40 DJ? And, well, I, I suppose, you know, that's not a bad idea. And, and you know. I worked on the format with him, and da 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 da. And you know, Sue was was you know the the first one to do it. And yes, she she pointed out the the obvious thing. Well, this is really stupid. I mean, you know, it takes no brains to to do this. And I thought, well, thank you. <laughs> <laughs> and but I mean that as a compliment. Yes, it takes no brains. It's that well thought out. <laughs> so so Jeffrey was was good enough. To say, okay, you've thought this through. He probably thought it was a stupid idea too. But we're a training ground. We're all learning. Let this kid learn and let let him learn from his mistake. So that was one of Jeffrey's genius things. Mm. Yeah, it's it's not to say it wasn't the the right thing to do it, in probably other people's hands. It it would have it would have worked. It would have been that right training ground. But but Sue wasn't interested in doing that, and she took it in her own direction, which is which is part of the the, the great thing about Hofstra Radio is that there are opportunities for people to take things in their own direction and to try. Yes, them out. absolutely. And you know, God bless her for doing what she did. Because it, it was great for her. It turned out to be a good show. Da 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 da. So, you know, it's just one of those things where, oh, you know, probably five people in the world remember it. Uh, and that's fine. You know, that's, that's why we were there, was just, just to learn. Hmm. Well, that and to have fun and, and, you know, to indulge in things. <laughs> Say no more. Uh, and the one time I'll say say no more, perhaps. I don't know what the statute of limitations, the desk thing, I don't know. We've already, we've already crossed the line, perhaps. Um, it seems like you felt pretty comfortable on the air right away. Do you think you felt pretty comfortable socially at the station right away? Or was there a moment where you thought, okay, uh, these are my people, I'm, I'm here? Oh, yeah. You know, the people there really made 
me feel welcome, but not because I was me. They did that for everybody. Uh, yes, there were clicks. I, I mean, sure, that's that's going to be the case. And you know, there there were were people who, uh, you know, I'm a senior. I'm not really going to hang out with freshmen. I I get that. Uh, but for the most part, ninety five percent of of the folks, it was a very very great atmosphere. We had fun together. We did things together. Uh, you know, after a year or two, Linda and I, you know, started seeing each other and, you know, we were college sweethearts all throughout college. Uh, so, you know, some of us were closer to others, mm-hmm. you know, than, than others. Uh, but, you know, it was, it, it was just a great place to be. Great friends, great people. You learn so much. Uh, and, you know, lifelong memories. On that note, we're obviously looking backwards. You have these fond memories and these great experiences and relationships and friendships. Um, we, we can look back and say, this is what it was. But I'm going to ask you if it's possible now to consider as an 18-year-old, as a freshman going into college, um, what did you hope the radio station would mean to you and, and what did it become? I'm not sure I've ever had that ability to, you know, say, gee, this is what I hope for it, it to become. You know, I've just, you know, sort of gone from one, one thing to another and have been very, very, very fortunate and very lucky. Hmm. Um, so, you know, I don't think I went in saying, okay, uh, my first year I'm going to do this and, you know, that, and then this is going to lead to a job at WLAR and that's going to lead to a job at PLJ and then you know, I'll be Danny you know, replacement. So, so no, um, maybe in the back of my head, who the hell knows. Uh, but what I learned at Hofstra really helped inform my broadcasting career because I'm still in broadcasting. You know, I left radio and then in television, uh, but so much of what we, we learned back then transfers, Mm. uh, you know, whether it's radio or TV, whether it's radio programming or TV programming. Uh, but it's, it's working with, with other people. It's, it's understanding that, yeah, you may be the, the combo DJ where, you know, you're the announcer and you're the engineer, but you ain't the only one who, who is, you know, making this possible. That there's a whole lot of other people. You know, there's people who who wrote the copy. There's people who are keeping you on the air, uh, so on and so forth. There's somebody who did the logs, and you know, all of those people. Without them, you're not on the air, and and if you are on the air, you're not going to be any damn good. Uh, so it's that that idea of of teamwork. Uh, you know, learning learning and not not doing it well at times, you know, uh, mm. you know, and and learning how to do it more better, uh, that really helped a lot. And you know, there are still things that I remember, and you know, just just looking back at at, at Kraus and 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 how he gave us the room to to learn and grow, and you know, the stories that Teddy would tell about you know WMCA when he worked there and WXLO and so on, uh, you know, just just helped helped me 
in my jobs throughout the year, which, you know, I don't think I would have gotten if I had gone to Adelphi and was an announcer at WBAU. Hmm. Steve, this has been really uh, a tremendous amount of fun. Thank you so much for sharing your stories and and for taking the time to do this. I'm 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 really thrilled with with all of this, and uh, I can't wait to hear some more stories. Let's do this again sometime. You let me know when, and and I'll talk as long as you want. <laughs> all right, I'll I'll hold you to that.